growing apart. How often do we hear this phrase used? The friends we have in early life, in elementary or high school, often aren't even remembered by the time we hit middle age. Not because of any traumatic falling out, though sometimes that does happen, but because people, of course, change. It could be as subtle as divergence in musical tastes, where once you shared a love for NSYNC together, now you're bumping Florida Georgia Line, while your best friend from fifth grade has gotten deep, deep into Norwegian black metal. If you're lucky, you still have some sort of contact. Instagram, Facebook, and the vast wasteland of the internet allows us to maintain contact with folks well after the friendship's expiration date even if no real friendship remains. Conversations are based on nostalgia, on fuzzy memories. Now, this isn't a blanket statement. I know many people have lifelong friendships. My mother still talks on the phone weekly with friends she met in middle school. But still, people grow apart. More so than platonic couplings, this often happens in romantic relationships as well. The divorce rate in the U.S. is what, 50%? I thought about looking into actual figures, but that would have simply depressed me way too much. Sure, much of these separations have to do with infidelity, with lies, deception, or any number of unspeakable actions by one or both partners. But how often is it that they've just grown apart? The people they were when they met, it seems, are no longer who they'd become when they filed the paperwork. This can be as simple as, again, a divergence of interests. But often the problems are systemic. They fester and spread, infecting all decisions and forged memories. One wants children while the other runs from that conversation. One wants to discover what life would be living in the country, while the other can't loosen their grip on city life. Then what about religion? Politics? What happens when one partner develops some sort of faith, while the other simply can't believe? What happens when one partner's candidate wins the bid, while the other must concede? Resentments build. Hurt feelings abound. Fissures become cracks. Cracks become caverns. When the schism grows wide enough, do you give up? Throw in the towel? And bid someone you once loved adieu? Do you say goodbye? Or do you start building a bridge? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in and the haunt is on. Chapter 19 Denny awoke to the sound of moaning, coming from the master bedroom. It was Kate, and he could tell exactly what was happening. He'd heard her sound like this a few times before, but this was usually after a night out, when liquor had outweighed food. He wanted to go to her, 
to help her. But after last night, there was no way he was going to do that. Still, the sound of her being sick gave him a glimmer of hope. Maybe that's all this was. Maybe Kate somehow caught the virus that had locked down the world, and she was experiencing one of the many symptoms while crouched next to the toilet bowl. Maybe this was why she'd been so tired. And maybe now, she was healing. Every part of him wanted to go check, to rub her back, or hold her hair, like he'd done before, but something told him that those days were gone, long gone. Instead, Denny yanked open the curtains behind their dining table. The sun was just beginning to peek over the adjacent rooftops of the neighborhood. Since living in the South, Kate and Denny had joked to unfamiliar friends and family that the area only had two seasons, winter and the long summer. The two or three months around Christmas did get cold enough for scarves and gloves at times, but there was never a need to scrape windshields or shovel driveways. On the converse, summer was the resilient sort, stretching well into what other parts of the country knew as fall. The leaves still turned and fell from their branches, but did so in bouts of beach weather, humid spells that felt more like July than October. Then it was like the god of the southern states flipped a switch, sometime before or after Halloween, skipping the vibrance of autumn and heading straight into the overcast skies and cool breezes of approaching winter. This year's change happened sometime during the two days since Denny had brought his wife home from where he'd found her in the cemetery. He wasn't sure when, because he'd been mostly cooped up in the living and dining rooms of their house, not bothering to go outside even to smoke. Denny instead lounged, drank, and contemplated the loss of time, in two ways. First, where the past year had gone. To him, it felt as if he were still at the beginning of the year, and he still had an office and classrooms to get to, lesson plans to write and essays to grade. The pandemic and its subsequent shutdown stole most of the year, and just as everything seemed like it was getting back to normal, the election on the horizon, bars and restaurants began opening again, faculty positions were once again being posted on job boards, his house awoke to steal away even more of his life. He also contemplated another sort of lost time, that of his wife. Kate had been in the bedroom since he'd brought her home, emerging only occasionally to eat or smoke a cigarette. She didn't speak unless spoken to, and even then her answers were curt, non-committal, as if she were just waiting for him to shut up or leave her alone. Denny did his best to get her to fill in the gaps, to let him know what happened, how she got to be in that old, overgrown cemetery. But her answers, again, were final, clipped like she didn't know, and the more he asked her, the more irritated she became, so Denny stopped asking, and he left her alone like she wanted. There was no specific reason for it, but Denny had slept on the couch for the next two nights, partly to give his wife time to rest and maybe process, but because he just didn't feel comfortable in their bedroom any longer. Kate didn't say anything, either to keep him out or to invite him in. The last time he'd gone in there, she had her back to the door. And to him. How are you feeling? Denny had asked, clutching the handle of the door as if he would need to slam it shut. 
While the rest of the house had lost some of the growing oppressiveness, the intensity of their master bedroom felt as if it were growing, like he was stepping into the dank blackness of an old mine shaft. The curtains were open, yet the room was still submerged in shadow, like he were looking at the space through tinted glass. When she didn't respond, Denny said, Can I get you anything, babe? Without turning over, Kate said, I'm fine, just tired. Can you just give me a little while longer? There was no malice or anger in her voice, not then, but rather the sleepy sort of desperation she'd usually exuded when Denny tried waking her before her internal clock wanted. Of course, I'm just right out there, okay? He'd already gone through another half bottle, and he wobbled in the doorway as he spoke. When she didn't respond to this, Denny added, No news on Kyle yet. He doesn't seem to be improving, but he's not getting any worse either. Megan seems like she's okay. Megan had returned earlier that day to retrieve her car, and she waited by the open door with the engine running while Denny brought out the rest of her and Kyle's luggage. Their conversation had been awkward, of course, focused mostly on their respective partners. Megan giving the non-committal updates from Dr. Kapoor, while Denny ran through Kate's sudden disappearance and discovery in the graveyard. This piqued Megan's interest, and Denny could see that concern was coursing through her. But Megan made no effort to check on her best friend, to go inside and look at her. In fact, each of her movements seemed defensive, shut off, as if the house were going to reach out a long, ethereal hand and grab her, drag her kicking and screaming back inside. Once she was loaded up, Megan let Denny know which hotel she would be staying at, a Best Western near the hospital, but she didn't divulge the room number, as if not wanting he or the looming shadow of the house to gather any more information. And then she was gone. He was hoping an update on their friends might stoke some sort of a reaction out of Kate, some excitement or relief, but she just readjusted her legs under the covers and said, That's nice. What the fuck is wrong with you? Denny thought. His anger grew as he stepped into the room, as did the sensation of being held back. The air itself felt thick, protective. He wanted to go over and turn her, to get her to look at him in the eyes, thinking this might snap her out of whatever trance she was in. But as he took another step, he felt pressure on his chest, like hands were pushing him. Maybe it was the alcohol, or simply the culmination of how kicked around Denny felt. But this was too much. This was his house. His wife. Dennis Coleman actually took a swing. Then another. A right, then a left hook at the empty space before him, as if he expected to connect with the presence who was holding him back. But his wild punches didn't find purchase. The force he'd put into them made him stumble forward, though, like a drunk in a boxing ring, and he found himself by the foot of the bed. He was now close enough to reach down and touch his wife's foot, and he started to do so when his dogs stirred and lifted their heads. They were positioned on either side of her body, noses pointed at her face, but as Denny came within inches of contact, they craned their necks to glare at him. A low growl came from Echo first, then Roxy joined her in harmonized menace. It's okay, girls, Denny said, though he felt very, very far from okay. It's just Papa. Teeth were then bared, and Denny realized that, in a flash, both could pivot, snap, and take the fingers off of his right hand, 
and he felt his body descend into the numbness of terror. In many of his classes, Professor Coleman, or Dr. Denny, taught his students about the difference between horror and terror. Horror was moral repulsion, feeling unease or fear about images or situations that conflict with one's own constitution, their internal compass. Stories like The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby elicit these sorts of feelings. Then there are slasher movies like Friday the 13th or Halloween, where the fear comes not from the morality in question, but the very realistic possibility of serious injury or death. One feels terror because being chased by a lunatic with a knife and suffering a gruesome fate is possible, whereas demon possession is not nearly as commonplace. And Denny was now feeling that terror. Sweat broke out on his forehead, his bowels felt loose, and his legs shook, all at the hands or teeth of the very dogs he'd rescued. But these weren't his dogs, were they? Maybe physically, their bodies, but they'd never reacted to Denny in this way before. Not once. This was the house. This was whatever was in the house, taking control of his thoughts and emotions, his dreams, of his pets and, and his partner. That was it. In that moment, Denny finally recognized what he'd been thinking since the cemetery, what he was still trying to rationalize away in spite of everything else. Kate was no longer inside the house. The house was inside her. The chill that accompanied this acknowledgement sent Denny stumbling backwards. He banged his shoulder under the doorframe, muttering that he was just going to be in the other room, that he would be there if she needed anything. And as he fumbled for the door handle, Kate spoke the last words Denny heard from her. Go on. We are fine now. And he did. Gingerly, he shut the master bedroom door and he slid down the hallway. Denny then finished off the second bottle and crashed into the sectional couch. He passed out, face down, running the same word over and over in his mind. We. Though he wished he could convince himself that we meant Kate and the dogs, Denny was certain that the plurality had nothing to do with what existed in the physical world, but whoever or whatever now resided comfortably inside of his partner. There was a war raging inside of her, two desperate waves of emotion clashing together that roiled her stomach, made every inch of her body ache, so much so that she felt as if she might need to run into the bathroom. Though she hadn't eaten anything substantial in two days, her body felt as if it wanted to reject anything it could. The part of her that loved her husband, loved their lives together, was steadily losing ground. The few times he'd come into their room, her body yearned for him, to have him gather her up into his arms and rock her into the feeling of safety, to have him make stupid jokes and even tickle her, something she always insisted she hated but deep down relished because of the silly intimacy it produced. This part of her wanted a return, a return to normalcy, a return to the simple stress of faculty meetings and deciding what to make for dinner, of dealing with a hangover after she'd spent the night dancing and singing with her husband of two years. In essence, she wanted to rewind, to go back and live in the era before the pandemic, before lockdowns, both societally and inside their home, before they'd ever even toured the house on the corner of Muldoon and Bradbury. 
But as the hours passed, with her laying in the bed, dogs positioned like sentries at her side, these urges grew sporadic, fleeting, and were being overshadowed by new sensations, protective feelings that unnerved her at first, but had grown not only insistent, but in a way, logical. Each time Denny came into the room, Kate Coleman just wanted him to leave, to go away, far from her and her house. It had become harder for her to bite her tongue, to stop herself from screaming at him to get away. It had gotten to the point where she'd heard him coming down the hallway the last time, and she turned her body away toward the wall, fearing that if she caught a glimpse of his face, she would snap, begin throwing whatever she could at him. Pillows, books, the digital clock and salt lamp on the bedside table, her cell phone. Anything to push him back out of the room. But why? This was the same man she'd spent Sundays back in grad school with, watching football. The man who'd built a banister on the back stoop so when her grandmother came to visit, the brick stairs would be less of a challenge. This was the man who helped carry her other grandmother's casket, and had stood on a beach in Florida, reciting Ben Queller lyrics while slipping a ring on her finger. So how could she feel the need to excise him from her life, to push him away, violently if necessary? Because he wanted to take her away from her home. He wanted to pack her up and move her in with his meddling parents, then to some other town, some other house that would never feel as safe and inviting as this one. Hadn't they professed that this house, High Hopes, was going to be their forever home? The place they would live and die in, just like the couple before them? This was where she was meant to live, where she was meant to be. And hadn't Denny even considered that her job was here? She was, after all, the sole breadwinner. Without her monthly checks, they'd have nothing. No shelter or food. He'd be out of cigarettes and his precious booze. She was the one making the payment on his fucking Jeep. Hell, she was paying the mortgage on the very house that he wanted to take her away from. Where did he get off, really? He'd always been sort of aloof, the goofy one in the group cracking jokes and making friends, but at the expense of responsibility, of growing up. He was a loser, a freeloader. Her husband was seven years older than her, but he had no desire to be an adult, and it pissed Kate off. He got to tinker on the fence and write his little horror stories while Kate was shouldering both of their lives, not only making the money, but keeping everything together. She was the glue, and he was the needling knife that was trying to tear it all down. Well, fuck that, Kate thought. The first hints of sunrise were coming through the window that looked over the pool. She reached down with both hands, stroking each dog's head. Denny was in for the surprise of a lifetime if he thought she would go willingly. Let him try, she thought. Let him try and take me away from this house. From what I've built. From what we will build. Then, another wave of nausea came upon her. This time, she wriggled her way out from between the dogs and shuffled to the bathroom. Her throat burned as she threw up mostly liquid, and her body trembled. Kate hadn't felt this sick in some time. But despite this physical anguish, her mind was suddenly, blissfully, at ease. Behind her, the dogs had filled the doorway, 
facing away from her, once again standing watch. Their presence seemed to only confirm this new resolve. Something was coming. Kate could feel it. She didn't know exactly what that would be, but there was now something to look forward to, and she was a part of it. Maybe the biggest part. This would be what she has always waited for. Her contribution. All the degrees, the job offers, the success of marriage and home ownership. Each new step into what society deemed necessary for acceptance into the club of adulthood. All of it paled in comparison. She was right where she needed to be. The door was open, and Kate stood, wiped her mouth, and walked right through it. This episode, Chapter 19, of The Ghost Modernist was presented by Dr. Scarelove, and the spooky tunes were from Atrium Carcheri. Check out the show notes for links to the Cryo Chamber label, where you can find more of their music, plus a host of other rad artists. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, at The Ghost Modernist, for more updates. Get ready for pictures of moving trucks and sweater-clad Labradors. The relocation to Pittsburgh is underway. If you've gotten to this point in the story and haven't had the chance yet, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, as this will help me scare more people. I'm recording this a bit in advance, and I've gotten new five-star ratings, but there aren't any new reviews for me to give some love to. But rest assured, any and all reviews I get will be featured on the Season 3 premiere. Thanks to everyone for following along. You're helping to make a childhood dream of mine come true. That's it for Chapter 19. Remember. There are two types of people in the world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?